tonight in chapter number 4. Philippians in chapter number 4. We have reached the final chapter of our book here, and what a great one it is. Uh, there is a lot of real practical stuff at the end of any of the Pauline letters, the, the letters that Paul wrote, and uh, this is uh, no different than that. This one is just packed full of some very, very tangible things. And so some of these uh, sermons that are upcoming in Philippians 4 over the next month or two are going to be just so um, applicable, just things you can take home and, and just use them right away. So we're going to kind of set the scene here tonight of what the problem is that brought about some of these issues that then Paul brings up. And uh, so that's the plan here this evening. So Philippians chapter 4, if you found your place and you're able to, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word, Philippians and chapter number 4. Philippians in chapter number 4. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 1 says this, Therefore, and of course, therefore means it's a conjunction. It's connected to that which has been spoken in chapter 3, which we'll, we'll tie that in here in just a moment. But he says, therefore, kind of a conclusion tying the end to the, what we've already been, my brethren... Dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Can you just hear the affection of Paul? I mean, there's a reason he's giving this much affection, because he's about to give him a spanking. Can you take your kid and you tell him, I love you, I, I'm doing this because I love you. Now turn around and bend over, right, <laughs> getting the spanking. Okay, that's where we go. So verse number two, here's where the spanking comes. I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So I've titled the sermon here tonight this, Name and Names, because he, he does that. Um, now, you showed up to a good uh, service tonight. Maybe we'll name some names. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but here he names uh, some names. So we're going to take a look at this here this evening. May God bless the readers already. You can be seated. Uh, thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures. <clears throat> this has been a theme that we've already brought up uh, many times from the pulpit and even in this book that we're in, in the book of Philippians. The idea of unity. Christ loves unity in His church. Um, there's nothing quite as tragic as a church that is in divisive mode, right? That there, are, there is either a segment or a group of people that have broken off and made their own little clique within the church, abstaining from the rest of the body, um, or even a church having a major split down the middle and that there are two factions that kind of are at odds with one another. Uh, there, there's nothing as destructive as that uh, dynamic to a New Testament church. Uh, so much so that we've even preached before and, and talked about this that the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against Bible Baptist Church. 
Meaning this, the, the influences of the world and of Satan and the devil and, and his forces and, and the spiritual warfare that we're engaging in, they're going to lose every time. Christ will be the victor. So why does a church die? Well, it dies internally. When there is sin within the church and it rots from the inside out, when there is divisiveness within the church and the church splits or fractures or splinters and has so many problems in that way. It can be all kinds of conflicts, and I'm not going to go through all the ways in which this can happen, but it leans on this idea that we've talked about a lot, even in the United States, this motto, united we stand, divided we fall. And that is so true of a New Testament church. Now, uh, I'm not uh, by any means an engineer or an architect or a framer. But according to Cornell University study, they did a study on an uh, average two-before. Take a two-before, and they say you take that two-before, and the weight that the, an average two-before can hold is 636 pounds. So average two-before, 636 pounds is the load that it can carry. Beyond that, it begins to stretch and fracture and fall apart. Okay. Stick with me here. Now, my logical brain, okay, very logical, very analytical, very practical in my thinking. So my brain kind of goes like this. If one board holds 636, if you put two of them together, that would be double that or 1,272 pounds. Some of you are like, I didn't know we were doing math tonight. Come on, preacher. Yep. Now, that, that's how logically you would think that would work, right? This one can hold 636. This one can hold 636. So together, they're going to hold a little over 1,200 pounds. But it's leaving out the natural law called synergy. Now, maybe you never heard about synergy before. Synergy is that the sum of the parts is greater than the parts, right? The sum of the whole, them together, is greater than one plus one in synergy equals three. Okay, follow me here with this logic. All right, so the energy that's shared by two of these things, two two-befores together, is not 1,272 pounds, but is almost 3,000 pounds that it can carry. So two two-befores together actually now has greatly multiplied its holding ability because they're working together. Now, follow again. What if we were to put three two-befores together? Okay, well, logic says if each one of them could hold 636 pounds, three of them would hold about 1,900 pounds. You know how much three two-befores, if they're together, how much it can hold? Over 8,000 pounds, almost 9,000 pounds. Now, if you were to take each individual two-before and, and spread them out, they're not working together, Put these two befores together. How many it would take to hold almost 9,000 pounds? It would take 14 of them. But you put three of them together and they can hold the same weight that 14 individually could hold. What is that? The power of unity. Amen. The power of synergy when things are working together. Now, that is a natural law that not only works with support in an architectural structure with two befores, but that works in a New Testament church. 
Yeah, where there's two or three that are gathered in my name, I'll be in the midst of them, is what Jesus said. Right? The, the scriptures are littered with all kinds of examples. It talks about a two-fold cord is not easily broken, a three-strand, man, nobody's getting through that. Man, there's all kinds of scripture where it talks about unity and working together and the power and strength of that. Almost every Pauline letter in the New Testament talks a lot, if not exclusively, about this idea of unity. It is all throughout the New Testament. Why? Because we are a people who tend to be divisive. We allow petty things to cause us to fracture, splinter, and come apart. And so he says here that we need to work together. Psalm 133 describes the, the unity of brethren. It's beautiful. Like when they poured oil on Aaron's head and it ran down his beard all the way down to his feet. I don't know what's beautiful about that, but the Bible describes that as a beautiful thing. And it says that's what it's like when God's people dwell together in unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10 would say it this way, that ye all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Now listen, there's nothing more devastating in my mind than a church that is fractured and broken and divisive and at odds with one another. And they have become ineffective for declaring the truth of the gospel and they're limping along trying to survive. You show me a dying church, I'll show you a church that has no unity. I'll show you a church that's thriving and doing well and is healthy. You'll find a church where there's unity within that body. A church that has bought into the idea that there is a greater purpose than theirs. That purpose is the mind of Christ. And they recognize that God has placed an under-shepherd within the church as a pastor. And so they understand as the, the Lord leads the pastor that then they would fully support that and that they would help that and advise that and help us all move together. Listen, the work of the Lord is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. And we all have stations and we all have jobs to do. And when we all have this mind that Christ is magnified, that the gospel is preached, that the Lord is magnified, and that becomes the central focus all those peripheral things become a lot less significant. Amen. They really do. Amen. And, and I've, I've just seen it enough in my life as a layperson and as a pastor where people elevate pettiness, division follows. But where people defer and they say, you know what? The main thing is the declaration of the gospel and the unity of the church. And my little issue doesn't matter that much. I will suffer the wrong so that Christ may be magnified. That church goes far. Church goes far when that happens. Yep. And it's not one person gets their way. As a pastor, I'm standing up here saying, my way or the highway. Hey, if you've been here long enough, you hopefully have felt that. But no one church member can be that way either. Yeah, we need to defer so that Christ is magnified. Let His way and His direction reign supreme. So Paul comes to this church and he is going to address this idea of unity. That it's so important that he actually is going to call out some people by name because of their lack of unity. It was a squabble between two people 
that has boiled over and has become a church-wide issue. So Paul deals with it just like that. Now, I love in verse number one, of course, therefore, conjunction, the ideas of the previous chapters have not been forgotten, but they are being carried forth into chapter four. So Paul here talks about this great affection that he has for them. He calls them brethren dearly beloved. He longs for them. They were his joy and his crown. Why is Paul saying all this? Because he says this, what I'm about to tell you is difficult for me to say, but necessary. Mm. There is nothing more difficult as a pastor than to confront someone about an issue. I am so non-confrontational and I absolutely hate that. But I will say this, sometimes it has to be done where you have to confront somebody and say, hey, let's talk about this because this isn't healthy for you. It's not healthy for the church. It's not healthy for your family, whatever that might be. And sometimes there's that confrontation that needs to happen. And so Paul here recognizes this. There's a confrontation that needs to happen. So he wants them to know up front, I'm not doing this because I'm angry. I'm not doing this because I'm mad. I'm not doing this because I hate you. I'm doing this because I love you and I love Christ's bride, the New Testament church. Amen. So he says, because I care about those things, it's necessary that this then is dealt with. So his message there in verse number one is actually this, after he tells them how much he loves them. He says this, stand fast. Don't move. Don't shift. This is what you were. This is what Christ has called you to be. So don't shift. Don't move from that. So what are they supposed to not move from? Well, we've already read through the book of Philippians, piece by piece, little by little. And chapter number one, he deals with the idea of rejoicing in the Lord, not rejoicing in your circumstances, right? And, and the focus ought to be the Lord. And so he deals with it pretty exclusively in verse number one. You're going to go through trials and tribulations, but you can have joy and rejoicing in the midst of that. Uh, you got your Bible open there. Go to chapter 1 and verse number 27. So he tells them in chapter 1, you've been given something so wonderful in salvation, frame it properly. In verse number 27, about halfway through the verse, he says this, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That sounds a lot like unity. Well, yeah, look at chapter 2. Here we have in chapter 2 the perfect example of humility and deferring so that Christ can be magnified. In chapter number 2, in verse number 2, he says this, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Well, there, we got unity again that's found within this book. Look at chapter 3. Here we've just gone through chapter number three about salvation is not by our works. When you find Christ, you want more of Christ, the loss gain column thing that we've been talking about over the last couple months. And he says there in verses 15 and 16, he says, chapter three, verse 15, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, aka saved, be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, 
God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Now, again, unity. You have unity that runs throughout the book. It is a common theme. Have the mind of Christ and pursue that together. Now, that is the same message for our church. Let us find the mind of Christ through the word of Christ, and then as a church, pursue that together. That's Paul's message, even for us today. Now, unity at the expense of truth, though, is not unity. I think there maybe needs to do a little bit of work on that. Unity at the expense of truth is not unity, it's compromise. Now, we, we could say, well, we just all want to get along with each other. Well, if everyone getting along with each other means that we leave the mind of Christ, then we no longer have the right kind of unity. Because all having the same mind doesn't mean we all flock to some new philosophy or we all flock to one Christian in the church's idea of what the church should look like. It means that we've all flocked to the idea. We've all bought into the right idea that this is what this church ought to be. Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-following church. And so when we all have the mind of Christ found in the Word of Christ, then that is where unity is found. So, again, just to be clear, uh, a lot of people talk about unity, but it's the wrong kind of unity that then is compromise. We want to have the right kind of unity that's found where we all collectively are deferring what we want so that Christ can get what He wants. That's the kind of unity that Paul talks about. So, uh, what's going on here in verse number 2? Well, there's two ladies that have caused a conflict in the church. Now, I'll say this. It isn't always the ladies. Men can cause problems too. Just in this text, it's two ladies. So, don't read too much into that, okay? But in, in the text that we're given here, there's two ladies... And these two ladies are having some type of problem. What's the problem? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't say. But isn't it fun to speculate? <laughs> Absolutely is. What do people squabble about in church today? I don't know. We're kind of fixing up the classrooms back there. Maybe they're fighting over about the color of the paint on the walls. See people fight over that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seen people fight over a lot less than that. Uh, well, maybe they're fighting over the flooring that they put in, or maybe they're fighting over uh, this color of light versus that color. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with some construction thing like that, and they got all bent out of shape. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it has to do with some kind of uh, personal thing. Your kid did something to my kid. You want to get a mama bear mad at another mama bear, mess with their kid, right? And so maybe it is they're out playing on the playground and one of the kids picked up a handful of rocks and just absolutely obliterated the other kid. And in retaliation, they tackled them and pounded their face in. And now it's boiled over and now moms are mad at each other. I don't know. In my heart of hearts, I somehow feel like it has something to do with the nursery, though. <laughs> I, just, I just do. That has something to do with the nursery, that it was a Yodius' day to watch the nursery. 
And Cinta Chi didn't do what she was supposed to do last time she was in the nursery or something. And now Yodis is cleaning up and she's mad at Cinta Chi. And then it gets, I don't know, it just blew out of proportion. I don't know what the problem is, but I know this, it has escalated. And isn't that what problems do? Something that's this big before long can get this big. And then you start getting other people involved and it gets this big. I'm telling you, one of the most dangerous things you can have in your life is a friend when you come with a problem to them and they go, oh, no, they didn't do that. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a dangerous friend because what they're going to do is they're going to dump fuel on the fire that you've already got raging of rage and anger in your heart. And they're going to allow that to turn into a root of bitterness. A good friend might look at you and go, well, maybe you should have done something different. (laughs) Yeah, it's an honest friend. It's a good friend. Or maybe it's a friend who says this, you know, maybe you should call them and work that out. I'd be happy to pray with you and help you with that. Now, that's not a, a fun thing to talk about. That's one of those ways where you go, well, you're not a good friend. You ought to be mad with me. <laughs> but you say this, listen, I feel you're hurt, but I also understand that me fuming about what you're angry about is only going to make the problem bigger. Well, apparently that's what's happened here in the church is it started with these two ladies squabbling with one another, and now that conflict has boiled over into the church. So now it has become a church issue so that people are like choosing sides. That never happens. Absolutely it does. You know, I, 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 again, I don't know what the conflict is, but say it is something to do with the nursery and Sintichi's been out of shape because Eodius did some. And Sintichi goes to her three or four friends and she goes, well, Eodius did it again. Can you believe it? She didn't put the wipes where they were supposed to be. I had to look for them for 30 minutes. And little Jimmy had a soiled diaper. Now he's got diaper rash and it's all Eodius' fault. And all the other like, oh, I can't believe Eodius. And now what's happening? Well, you're getting Team Sintichi. And then here you've got Eodius. So maybe she's talking to her friends and it boils over. And then you know all those wives go home and they get their husband all wound up. And he's sitting over there like, I don't know, but they made my wife mad. So now I'm mad. I could care less, but now my home's unhappy because they're unhappy, right? Come on, I know how these things happen. And eventually that boils over, boils over. Listen, you see how this can spread when a conflict isn't dealt with in the right way and people get these divisive attitudes, postures towards one another. Notice this, it doesn't just affect them. Paul is not dealing with the conflict between Iodius and Sentici because he's primarily concerned with their relationship. He is. He loves them. He wants the relationship to be right. Notice this. Paul is mostly concerned because he doesn't want the name of Christ to be defamed over a squabble between two ladies. Because here's what happens. That happens, say a Bible Baptist church, there's an issue like that that happens. Is outside of these four walls inevitably there's going to be conversations between co-workers and other family members that happen. And here's what happens. The name of Christ is defamed. You might be trash-talking the other person in the church, but what the person listening is hearing is that church is dysfunctional and their God is dysfunctional. And here's what Paul's big concern is, is he says, I'm not going to have the name of Christ be defamed because of y'all's inability to get along with each other. And so he deals with this issue with Iodius and Sentici. And here's the scary thing. He calls them by name. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet these ladies. <laughs> Your names were recorded in the eternal word of God. 
and your fight was recorded for all these generations to preach about your fight over the nursery. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, like, how this passage of Scripture has been around for 2,000 years now, and there have been umpteen many messages preached about these two ladies fighting with each other. There's a, a warning there. Be careful what you do. <laughs> right? So here's these ladies that have squabbled with each other. Here's the thing. Paul calls them out by name. Why does he do that? Because it needed to be dealt with pointedly. Now, I've never done this before. I don't think I ever will do this. But could you imagine the sound of a pin drop if a pastor started naming names? Now, listen, I, I, because it's in the New Testament, I would say this. I think at some point that might be necessary. If there was that much divisiveness within a church that it needed, hey, this has all been going on behind closed doors. We're getting it out in the open. We're having a family meeting. We're dealing with it right here. I'm telling you what, it'd get quiet real fast, wouldn't it? Everybody's to get up on the edge of their seat and they go, I knew this was the service I didn't want to miss. <laughs> Where's the popcorn, Miss Lori? Get it? Okay, hopefully you're not of that attitude. But that, that's basically what happens here is Paul basically says this. This has boiled and, and festered too long. We're going to deal with the problem here. And, and so he not only talks about Iodius and Sentici, he talk, uh, talks about a third lady named Clement. Why is her name there? I honestly don't really know. Uh, she seems to be some type of leadership within the church. <clears throat> she's the nursery coordinator, I guess. And so <laughs> as she's some type of uh, leadership within the church that obviously has kind of a mediator attitude between these two ladies and some type of friendship or authority over them as another lady in the church. So Paul says this, uh, Clement, you with the fellow laborers, other Christians in the church, let's all work together to solve this problem. Because it's no longer an issue of two believers. It's an issue that's become church-wide. And we need, to, we need to nip this in the bud. Because I love you and I love the church too much to let it continue to defame the name of Christ the way that it is. So Paul comes in and he says, we're going to deal with this issue. And we're going to deal with this problem. And of course he talks about there, there in verse number uh, 3 of chapter number 4 there. He says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellows, all the church, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life, which is kind of this. It's a church issue. Let the people within the church deal with the church issue. And let's make this right and get it taken care of. Now, this key component of the New Testament, that idea of unity, bleeds over and over and over again. And I think we could take a lot of time tonight and deal with this, but I just want to maybe address this in a, in a very scriptural way here tonight. How we deal with conflict within a church or when there's problems, how is that dealt with before it turns into some major issue? Because if you're like me, you're here on a Wednesday night because you primarily love Jesus Christ, but you also love Bible Baptist Church, and, and that means you have an investment into this place of your time and your talent and your treasure. You're, if you're a member here, you're a part of this body, which means this. You don't want to see it fractured or have problems. 
So that means it's always good to talk about these preventative measures that can be done so that the church can be uh, held together and have the right kind of unity. Now, it's become a dying practice, but one of the major functions of a New Testament church, the body, is that when one part of the body hurts, the rest of the body hurts with it. And one part of the body isn't functioning, the rest of the body suffers because of it. Now, this is a clear principle that's taught in 1 Corinthians, uh, but it's also talked about in Matthew 7, where he talks about judging other people. We, we are called as a New Testament church to judge one another. You say, no, the Bible says judge not. You're, you're right, it does. And then there's a lot of other stuff that comes after that and before it too. And every time you hear those where it says judge not, the idea is judge not lest you be judged. Well, what does that work? Well, it's this. Before I can deal with Gary's problem, I need to see myself clearly so that I have a humble and right attitude in dealing with his problem. Does that make sense? Before you can deal with the moat in someone else's eye, get with the beam out of your own eye. He's not saying don't help your brother get a moat out of their eye. He's saying you can't do that when you've got a problem yourself. James would say it this way, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. I'm telling you what, if a man be overtaken, fault. Restore them. Listen, it's a, it's a dying practice in the New Testament church but here's the way this thing is supposed to work. We're supposed to be keeping each other accountable. We're supposed to be looking out for one another and loving on one another and calling each other out. And we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. And so as a New Testament church, that's what God's called us to be. Now, if you think you're God's gift to the church and you're walking around, I have no problems and I shall point out everyone else's problems. Uh, you probably got a big old beam in your eye called Pride. That one needs to be dealt with real bad because God hates pride. Amen. But I will say, in a humble spirit and a right attitude, I can't tell you how many times I've seen as a pastor a deficiency in somebody else. I, mean, I can see here, they're not doing this right. They're struggling here. And, and it grieves me because I see what it's doing to them and what it's doing to the church and how they're not functioning as they should within the body. And because that part of the body's not working, the rest of the body suffers and hurts because of it. And so in a humble and a right spirit, you go to them and you talk to them about it and say, can I help you? Can I pray with you? Can I encourage you in this area? And then what is the goal? That they could be healed. Why? So that then they become a functioning part. Of Here's the problem is, I think we got a lot of church members that maybe are like the hand or the foot, you know, the body, the body describes these different pieces. And we got broken parts of the body, broken foot, broken arm, and it's not being dealt with. And the church is struggling. And then we wonder why there's hurt feelings and disunity and problems. I tell you, unity is created on the day-to-day -day grind of shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder doing ministry together, praying with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that's one of the reasons why, I'll tell you, uh, VBS for me at our church has uh, less and less to do with trying to reach other people and more and more to do with forging strong relationships right here in the church. Really, because there's something about doing a class with a, a couple helpers and y'all working together for a whole week and laboring side by side and, and loving kids together and just praying together. The building thing we've been doing up here, 
you know, it, it would be easy for our church to hire that out, and maybe we shouldn't. But uh, I'll say this one of the things I, I honestly, I really enjoy watching is I enjoy seeing people from the church work with other people in the church. And, and hey, what's your name again? Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, you retired from that job? Can you tell me more about it? And, and seeing relationships forged. Why? That's how you create unity in a church. Why? Because now we know this person. It's not just a face I see on Sunday. That's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. And when they hurt, I'm going to hurt with them and I'm going to love on them and I'm going to help them get where they need to be. Because the old saying, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, is very true. And that's not true from a pastor to the pew. That's true from pew to pew. Yeah, we need to love one another and care about one another. We say, well, what's the care about that? Well, I think maybe that's what caused some of this issue between Iodius and Sintici, is that unity was lost because it had never been forged. And I say here, one of the things we need to work on as a church aggressively is constantly forging those bonds of unity right here in our church so that when there is a fracture, when there's a problem, we can come as a friend and lovingly try to correct and bring people back where they need to be. So again, you're going to find that throughout the New Testament. And it's a lost art that I think needs to be brought back into the church very, very clearly. Again, pride is a destructive thing. And if we do it with an attitude of pride, that won't go over very well. Okay. So if you have a problem with someone here at Bible Baptist Church, if there is an issue between you and somebody else, it needs to be dealt with. Scripturally, it needs to be dealt with. You can justify it all you want with the yeah buts. We get a lot of yeah buts, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but they did this to me. Yeah, but they said this. Yeah, but they're in the wrong. Well, it's still a conflict between, and it needs to be resolved. If not on their end, it needs to be resolved on your end. You need to be able to lay your head at night and say, you know what, I've done what I'm supposed to do in forgiving, in asking forgiveness, in resolving this problem. And if they're not where they need to be, that's kind of on them. I've done, I've released it. I've, I've done what I need to do. And all is good there. Maybe even here tonight during the invitation, you need to grab somebody and bring them to the altar with you and saying, we need to resolve this. This has gone on long enough. There's been enough problems here. There's been enough conflict here. Maybe it's a husband and wife. Maybe it's two ladies. Maybe it's a couple men. Maybe it's something that happened years ago. And in your heart, there's some kind of resentment or there's some kind of problem. I'm telling you right now, if we're not careful as a church and we allow that to fester, it will boil over between just an, a, a personal and it'll start affecting more than that, and it can defame the name of Christ. If you know someone who's in sin, someone who's causing disunity, or someone who's got some kind of problem, be willing to judge in a right way, call them out, and help them. Okay, View it this way, we're all one body, and a man loves his own body. right? And if there's a part of the body that's not functioning properly, we're going to love it and cherish it and nourish it back to health. That's how you need to view addressing somebody else if they've got a problem or they've got an issue. Over the next several weeks and verses in chapter number four, Paul's going to outline how we deal with problems and disunity in the church. Because there's this disunity, he says, here's how it happened and here's how we're going to fix it. So we're going to kind of address that. I'll say, as far as I'm concerned, 
uh, from a pastor's perspective, our church is not in the throngs of divisiveness where we're having to preach these messages and try to retrieve or revive something. But how important it is to have preventative sermons and measures of things to be aware of. Hey, this can cause division, and if it does, here's how we deal with it. And having those procedures and ideas in place from a biblical perspective, because the Yodius and Sentity got called out by name, and we don't want to get to that point. Amen? We want to get to a point where we can deal with conflict the moment it rears its ugly head, recognizing this, it's the enemy that's not what Christ has intended for Bible Baptist Church. Amen. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here tonight.